Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, people, and books that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, which is the Greek symbol for the soul. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a critical point of development, they create the new form and structure which becomes the butterfly. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove, who is the host and producer of New Thinking Aloud channel on YouTube, and you'll get that in the information. He's the author of The Roots of Consciousness, Psy Development Systems, and The PK Man. And between 1986 and 2002, he hosted and co-produced the original Thinking Aloud public television series that was shown throughout North America. He's the recipient of the only doctoral diploma in parapsychology ever awarded by an accredited American university, University of California, Berkeley, in 1980. And more recently, he's also the first prize winner of the 2021 Bigelow Institute essay competition regarding the best evidence for survival of human consciousness after permanent bodily death. And there were 204 essays submitted. And so to be the first prize winner is quite an achievement, Jeff. Welcome to Imaginal Inspirations. And I'll jump right in by asking you about um, a shaping moment involving your choice of work. Well, good to see you, David. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you. A shaping moment regarding my choice of work probably goes back to March of 1972. At the time, I was a criminology graduate student at Berkeley. I was volunteering in the psychiatric unit of San Quentin Prison, conducting group therapy sessions with murderers and rapists, and uh, imagine how I felt one morning awakening from a dream, the most powerful dream of my entire life. It was more real than real. I was simultaneously crying tears of joy and singing one of the most sacred songs from my own religious background, the Jewish liturgy. That's the moment that really changed my life when I think about it. My great uncle Harry had appeared to me in that dream and communicated with me at a soul-to-soul level. It was really, I have to regard it today, 50 years later, as an authentic taste of the afterlife. And it, it changed me so much so that I just couldn't go back to... Uh, criminology any longer. That was the moment when I decided that instead of focusing my career on human deviance, which in those days meant the negative forms of human deviance, I was going to pursue the higher, the positive forms of human deviance, meaning intuition, creativity, mysticism, and psychic functioning. Uh, Of course, I had to struggle a great deal in order to find a a path that would allow me to do that. But I ended up creating at that point an individual interdisciplinary doctoral major in 
parapsychology at Berkeley. And uh, looking back now over the last half century, I can say that that was the pivotal moment. Amazing. Goodness. And so really uh, a crucial experience um, in every sense of the word. And then did you, while you were doing this, did you have a, an influential mentor or teachers who, who gave you useful advice along the way? I was very blessed. I managed to take uh, advantage of uh, university regulations at the time were such that if you wanted to pursue a doctoral program and there was no department that would sponsor you in your uh, choice of your, your dissertation and so on, but you could find three faculty members from different departments who would do that, you could, you could create a unique degree. And so I studied with uh, Charles Tart, who is still a friend of mine, a mm. well-known parapsychologist, uh, Michael Scriven, a, a philosopher from Oxford was on the Berkeley campus and very interested in parapsychology. And I was also really blessed to develop a close relationship with an unusual man, Arthur M. Young. He was ah. the founder of an organization called the Institute for the Study of Consciousness. He was also the inventor of the Bell helicopter, the first commercially licensed helicopter. And uh, really quite a genius. And uh, he in actually invited me to move into the Institute for the Study of Consciousness. He had purchased a house in Berkeley, and he spent six months of the year living there. And I had the, the great privilege of living there with him and, and studying his uh, cosmological theories. Oh, very interesting. So you had a sort of eclectic set of mentors in that sense. And no doubt during these studies, you, there were many books that, that sort of shaped your, your life and thinking. I, 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 can, I never get my guests to, to reduce it to one book. And so I've now put it in the <laughs> Even as a student in criminology, I was exposed, for example, to the writings of Pitaram Sorokin, Ah. He was a great sociologist, and uh, uh, those books uh, had a big influence on me. How very interesting, because I, I come across very few people who've even heard of Bitterim Sorokin, and I have his work behind me here, including his great book, The Ways and Power of Love. Yes, his autobiography, The Ways and Powers of Love, The Crisis of Our Age, Social and Cultural Dynamics, uh, all had a, a very big influence on me even before I entered the field of parapsychology. And can you elaborate a little bit on what influence these had on you? Well, to be honest, I was interested in mysticism even as an undergraduate student. I had Maybe I can go back a little further, David. Uh, as an undergraduate student at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, I was taking a summer school program, sitting in the cafeteria, when some man walked into the cafeteria and began handing out flyers to the students there for Rudolf Steiner's Anthroposophy. They were going to have a, mm. a local conference in Milwaukee, and I looked at the flyer and, and it had the words, two words, spiritual science 
on the flyer. I felt chills going up and down my spine, just reading those two words. I'd never seen them juxtaposed together. Uh, it was my interest in Steiner that sort of alerted me to the work of Sorokin because I, I had discovered in one of the anthroposophy magazines at the time, an interview with Sorokin. So when I later encountered him as a criminology student, I already realized this is a man who was combining mysticism with sociology. How interesting. I, I've never actually managed to find a copy, even in university libraries, of the four volumes, Social and Cultural Dynamics. And so I, I've never managed to read that. So moving on, Jeff, to um, a key moment or moments of insight in your work in relation to, to consciousness. I mean, you've interviewed a huge number of people, and, and so you, you, you're, you're probably the best informed person in the field. Well, I started doing interviews in uh, 1972. And as a matter of fact, I couldn't have created a program in parapsychology if I hadn't already been guided by dreams to become an interviewer. If, if you like, I'll tell you that story. Indeed, absolutely. Well, after the Uncle Harry dream, as I mentioned, I, I was anguishing about how I could make this shift because the university didn't offer programs in parapsychology. There were some faculty members who were supportive, but there, how was I to educate myself, really? And I anguished over this for months. And one day, a couple of months after the Uncle Harry dream, I knew I was going to have a dream that very evening, David. I, I knew it. The, the dream was going to tell me how I could move forward in, in this direction. And indeed, I had a dream. I, I woke up from this dream feeling exhilarated, like, Eureka, I have the answer. And in the dream, I was visiting friends of mine across town in Berkeley, married student housing. I knocked on the door of their apartment, no answer. I found a key in the dream, let myself in. In the middle of the living room floor was a magazine. And I was paging through this magazine in my dream. It was called I, E-Y-E. And that's when I woke up feeling, oh, the, there's the answer. Of course, I still didn't know what the answer was, so I acted out the dream. I got on my tennis shoes. I ran five miles across town, knocked on the door. As I had dreamt, nobody was home. And in fact, I knew where they hid a key under the doormat. So I found the key, let myself in, walked into the living room, and just as I had dreamt there was a magazine in the middle of their living room floor, I picked it up and it was not called I, it was called Focus. It happened to be the magazine of listener-sponsored radio and television in the San Francisco Bay Area, which really is interesting because at that moment I made another decision to pursue my interests through nonprofit media, which was unusual for me as I didn't own a radio or a television. And had you met me then, you would have found a long-haired hippie who didn't believe in radio or television. Mm. I thought that electronic media was phony baloney. And 
I changed my mind. I went over to the local nonprofit station in Berkeley where I lived, Pacifica Radio, KPFA, and said, I'll, I'll volunteer. And even though I had a master's degree at the time, uh, they said to me, okay, sit here at this desk. And when you hear the doorbell ring, push this button and let people in the front door. So th- that's how I started. Within, th- within three weeks, I had learned how to produce a radio program. I did a, created a program about how you don't have to be from out of town to be psychic because I had local friends I interviewed about their psychic experiences. And the program director liked it so much, they gave me a regular slot twice a week. I found myself sitting across a table with world-class experts in the fields that I enjoyed because they were coming through the San Francisco area on their book tours. Uh, People like Robert Monroe, author of Journeys Out of the Body, And that gave me the confidence that I now had access to the best minds in the field and I could go to the university and create this individual interdisciplinary doctoral program. Marvelous. And in fact, Martin Redfern, who's here helping us with the sound, he's very experienced at having worked at the BBC World Service as a science correspondent in exactly the area um, that you're talking about, and he produced very many, many, many programs. And then coming coming back to the, this question of how one understands consciousness, um, uh, Jeff, uh, how, how does your understanding influence the way you live? Well, these experiences that I just shared with you gave me the direct impression, the direct experience even, that the universe itself is alive. The universe is conscious. Not only that, I'm under the impression, and I have been ever since then, that the universe desires from us that we become the very best versions of ourself. And and when we reach out when we try to improve ourselves and our lives in that way. My sense is that the universe will help us. As it helped me, I was guided by dreams throughout my life. Uh, So I have, I guess you'd have to say, an intimate relationship with a kind of larger consciousness. And that reminds me of, certainly in my life, I don't know whether this applies to you as well. I've been influenced by the, 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 American transcendentalists and and the new thought movement, uh, Ralph Waldo Trine, Thomas Troward, Charles Harnell. Is, is that literature that you've come across? Because they were talking about a universal mind, a super consciousness, and it was a psychology route, as it were, that was overtaken by behaviorism, unfortunately. Um- Fortunately, indeed. Uh, as a matter of fact, David, I helped to create a, a program. I, after my degree in parapsychology, I became virtually unemployable <laughs> in mainstream academia. But I helped to set up uh, some programs that receive distant learning accreditation uh, to offer master's degrees, including courses in parapsychology. One of those programs is sponsored by an organization called the Holmes Institute, Ah. which is the organization that trains ministers for what used to be known as the United Church of Religious Science. 
currently called the Centers for Spiritual Living, founded by Ernest Holmes, but it comes right out of the transcendentalist movement. Uh, we call it in the U.S. these days uh, the New Thought Movement, which Indeed. was an, an outgrowth of, of that. So I work very closely now with ministers in training, and, and they are the most lovely people. Well, all these principles that are very popular these days, uh, and particularly Troward's work, I think, is extraordinary because he was a, he had this amazing legal mind and also had very interesting experiences himself. But I was also going to ask you whether William James has been a big influence on on the way you think. William James has been a huge influence. Uh, I mean, I'm just nearly in tears thinking about how many ways I've been influenced by William James. He was a, a philosopher, a psychologist, a, a religious scholar, a psychical researcher, probably the single most seminal person in the field. No, I agree. And I, I, I've not only got most of what he wrote, but that includes some of his more popular lecture series, uh, no talks on life's uh, to teachers on life's ideals that the, those sort of things and he 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 wrote so brilliantly and he had such a um, a range and scope of thinking that that um, is rather lacking in a lot more in many contemporaries i think well at the holmes institute i teach two courses one of them is parapsychology the other is a course on william james how oh, very interesting well thank you thank you for that jeff and then is there any other experience that you'd like to mention at this point? I and mean, you, you've given us some very interesting um, accounts of shaping moments. Well, in the essay that I wrote for the uh, Bigelow Institute, uh, one of the people I focused on quite a bit was Elizabeth Targ, a beautiful daughter of my good friend, Russell Targ who uh, Russell Targ, uh, probably many of your listeners know, is a great pioneer in parapsychology. He worked for a decade with Hal Putoff at SRI International, basically to bring remote viewing to the general public. And today we now have tens of thousands of people practicing remote viewing. In 2002, Elizabeth, who was a friend of mine, died. She was 41 years old. She was a psychiatrist and a parapsychology researcher. And shortly after her death, Russell and uh, her husband and uh, other people, including complete strangers, began to receive communications from her. I also received a, a communication from her at, at the time. Uh, these communications were very dramatic. They convinced Russell, who was sort of a hard-nosed laser physicist and didn't believe <laughs> in the afterlife, that his own daughter had, had survived, which was a difficult thing for him to admit publicly. Uh, but he did. Uh, I'll tell you that story if you like, and I can tell you uh, about how she communicated with me as well. After yes, absolutely. Death. Well, Elizabeth's friend, Jane Catra, was applying for a job at Duke University in uh, public health. That was her field. And during one of the breaks, a staff member came up to Jane and said, uh, do you know a woman with long, dark hair who died recently? The staff member said, she's with me now, and she's urging me to 
give you a message to pass on to her father who doesn't believe in the afterlife, but this will convince him. When she was two years old, he forced her to wear a red dress that she didn't want to wear and she tore it off. And when Russell heard that story, it actually convinced him of the afterlife because he knew he was the only living person at that time who remembered this event, who could have known about it at, at all. Yeah. Yeah. It actually happened uh, just like that. And about a year after her death, I had another dream. And, and like the dream with my uncle Harry, it was one of these dreams that is more real than real. And I, I was so excited to see her. I said, Elizabeth, how wonderful to see you. I'm so impressed with all the communications I've been hearing about, especially the physical ones, because there were quite a few. And at that moment, exactly as I said in the dream, especially the physical ones, the phone rang right next to my bed. It was three in the morning. And I picked up the phone. And there was just white noise at the other end. As, as if Elizabeth was trying to send me a message, I can do another physical one right here and now. Yeah, well, that's an extraordinary story. Thank you very much, uh, Jeff. And we're just coming to the end now. So I'm going to ask you a couple of other, a couple more questions. One is, do you have a, a proverb or favorite quote that, that uh, means a lot to you or that you live by? Oh, well, I, I, I'm going to have to improvise, but I, I try to live by this rule, love everybody and everything all the time. Well, my goodness, that's a lovely piece of advice, and I would very much endorse it. Uh, and then finally, uh, is there any advice you'd give your younger self from your current vantage point? I don't think I would give my younger self much advice at, at this. Of course, I've made many mistakes along the way, but I'm very thankful to my younger self for the good decisions that I made that led me to be here with you right now, David, having this conversation. Oh, I, I, I get that impression too, Jeff, because I think that you've very much followed your inner promptings. Uh, and if you do that, then you're actually on track you know, from in the larger scheme of things, uh, and you you don't need don't need any advice um, if you're staying on track. So I think that's a very good response. And I'd like to thank you very much um, for your your time. And uh, maybe just as the final envoi, as it were, to say say a little bit more about what you think is the significance of the the Bigelow Essay Prize. It's just to bring things right up to date, and then we'll wind up. It's very interesting. Mr. Bigelow um, made a fortune in the real estate business. He uh, created the Budget Suites hotel chain. But then he took his money and created an aerospace company uh, building uh, modules that can be used for space stations. So one of them is currently attached to the International Space Station. So the award ceremony was held in this big aerospace facility. And it dawned on me, David, that if the human race is going to enter the community of interstellar civilizations capable of traveling to other stars, we need to understand hyperspace. And that includes the relationship between hyperspace and consciousness. 
And that includes, of course, the afterlife. So I think that uh, Bigelow's message ultimately is that we can't just explore outer space. We have to explore inner space and the far reaches of human consciousness so that we can then begin to explore the far reaches of outer space. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that this is what we've neglected, um, is this exploration of inner space. And it's where we now need to go to balance out the success of our exploration of outer space. Jeff, thank you so much for being on Imaginal Inspirations. I very much enjoyed our conversation and all the best. Thank you very much, David. David.